The following audio is from All Saints Church. For more information about the church, please visit our website at allsaintsgb.org. Mark 13, 28 through 37. From the fig tree, learn its lesson. As soon as its branch becomes tender and puts out its leaves, you know that summer is near. So also when you see these things taking place, you know that he is near at the very gates. Truly, I say to you, this generation will not pass away until these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. But concerning that day or that hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. Be on guard, keep awake, for you do not know when the time will come. It is like a man going on a journey when he leaves home and puts his servants in charge, each with his work and commands the doorkeeper to stay awake. Therefore, stay awake. For you do not know when the master of the house will come, in the evening, or at midnight, or in the rooster crows, or in the morning, lest he come suddenly and find you asleep. What I say to you, I say to all, stay awake. This is God's word, and it is true. Let me pray once more. Lord, would you bless this time? Would you bless your word, God? May the words of my mouth, the meditation of our hearts be glorifying in your sight. And may we hear from you, our rock and our redeemer. In Jesus' name, amen. What is a dream or goal of yours? What's a dream or goal of yours? Is it a vacation? Perhaps a financial goal? Maybe it's a a relational one with with a spouse, with a parent, maybe a hopeful spouse, to be, or maybe it's to have a family. What is your dream or goal? Recently, I was part of a seminar, a seminar uh, which was an exercise in dreaming about the future. It was said that dreams shape your future. They keep you awake. They keep you ready. They give you a driving purpose. So you need dreams for that reason, they said. The problem a little bit with this thought is that dreams are go- or goals are not objectively good, right? They're not objectively right, in and of themselves, that is. We all wish that wicked leaders' dreams wouldn't come true, right? This last week, we all wish that a young man in Texas with weapons, his goals wouldn't have come true, right? Dreams in and of themselves are not good, Dreams can indeed shape our, f- our future. They can stir us to be ready, to be awake, to have purpose in all that we do. But our dreams must be shaped around an objectively certain thing, around something that's objectively good, right, and beautiful. Rather than self-praising, rather than self-preserving, rather than on just things that pass away. The dream, if you will, for mankind, so maybe God's dream, if I can say it that way, without losing reverence in that, God's dream is for us to know him. He made us to know him, to glorify him, and to enjoy him. Right? Enjoyment is at the heart of what God makes when he, when he makes us, or he has when he makes us. So God, by his word, spoke us into being. He enacted a plan, a plan that would redeem us and fulfill that dream that we were made for. Perhaps this morning you've never heard that God made you for himself. You maybe need to be told today that you have a reason why you exist. 
God was intentional when he made you. Your life was indeed made with a goal in mind. Perhaps you're a Christian and you've heard that God's word and his plan will not pass away, but if you're honest, you so often live in a sleepy stupor, not aware, not awake, not waiting for him. The monotony of life often can lull us to sleep, right? The day in and day out, endless tasks, complaining kids, complaining us, right? We begin to make good things into God things, believing that can give us the driving purpose. Follow my dream. We willingly look to be distracted by the world. This is often what our phones are, right? Distract me, O holy phone. We grow lazy. We grow discouraged. We feel crushed by the difficulties of life and our unanswered questions within them. And though we might lose sight of the dream we were made with, God does not lose sight of us. No, God does not lose sight of us. And he calls out to us, even from this text today, with a question. Are you awake? Are you awake? Jesus' command is to stay awake. And this isn't a middle school sleepover where you stay awake for no good reason. No. Jesus is saying, shape your life, your dream, your goals, the dull moments, the Tuesday nights, the precious Sunday mornings. Shape them around the reality that my word, my plan, will not pass away. God's word and plan will not pass away. So we must stay awake. Or in other words, say it this way, our lives, to stay awake, our lives must be shaped every day around the reality that Jesus is coming back. Jesus is coming back. That's the word and plan being fulfilled in the end. We need to do a little bit of retracing of Mark 13. That's why we have this massive section. I'm not going to read it, but we are going to retrace it just a little bit in order for us to understand what 28 through 37 are talking about today. And it's important to understand that Jesus is first in this text having a conversation with his disciples there, then, for that generation. And if we understand that, then we can understand what he's saying to us here and now in our generation so look with me, trace verses 1 and 2. You see disciples, they, one disciple says, look how beautiful this temple is. And it was, it truly was. And Jesus gives a bitter pill. He says, every stone will be thrown down. In other words, it will be destroyed. Verses 3 and 4, the disciples sit with Jesus directly looking across at the temple. And they ask two questions. You should see this. Verse 4. He says, or they say, when will these things happen? Second question, what is the sign when these things are about to take place or be accomplished? We should see in this text when it says these things, it's referring to these two questions. That's what these things means in this text. When's the temple going to be destroyed and what's the sign or the sign of whatever's coming with it? So this is key to remember. These things refers to those two things. And Jesus, like a normal person in a conversation, doesn't begin ripping off about 2,000 years later. No, he's actually answering them right then and there in verses 5 through 23. He says, when these things will be. If you looked at the section there, verses 5 and 6 and 21 through 23 are kind of bookends. And they're talking about false teachers. It kind of heads off the section on either end. And in verse 14, as Pastor Chad preached on last week, 
he mentions the abomination of desolation. He refers to this, this prophecy in Daniel, which was actually fulfilled in part two centuries before when a foreign general desecrated the worship in the temple. And Jesus is saying, that's going to happen again. And in Luke, as Pastor Chad said last week, in the mirror account of this chapter in Luke, Luke says the abomination of desolation is what? It is when the city is surrounded by foreign armies. He's telling them of an actual event that's coming in their time. And both Mark and Luke say this, when you see this happening, run, right? Flee to the mountains, he says in verse 14. If you were to read the accounts of the destruction of the temple of Jerusalem, or the temple in Jerusalem in 70 AD, which we believe is the fulfillment of verses 5 through 23, it both matches Jesus' description, and it actually also matches something else. It matches the destruction of the temple the first time in 586 B.C. It's a mirror event almost of this absolute destruction of an army surrounding. There's immense tribulation, unbelievable pain, rape in the streets, cannibalism, fierce brutality, things we never would want to see. And so Jesus is telling them, he's describing judgment coming on the temple in their generation. But verses 24 through 27, there's a shift in the language. He shifts from speaking to the, the disciples, sorry, saying, you, and he starts talking about they in verse 26, a different era, a different event. He's describing the end of the world when he returns. Cosmic upheaval, sun, moon, stars, not giving light, falling to the earth. He says, the Son of Man, Jesus, will return to collect his people, the elect from every corner of the earth, and even out of heaven itself. This is interesting. It matches what Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 4, that Jesus will come and bring the dead who have believed with him, right? And they both, dead and alive in Christ, will be there present at his second coming. So to summarize, to summarize the retracing, the disciples ask about the destruction of the temple and the sign of its coming, these things, in verse 4. In verse 5, Jesus answers them, describing what would happen in 70 AD, at the destruction of the temple in Jerusalem. And then in verses 24 to 27, Jesus comforts them. This is comfort, showing that the tribulation isn't the end. But what? That Jesus is coming back. He's coming back. So we turn our attention to verse 28. Jesus gives this example they would have been familiar with. If the fig leaves come out, you know it's summertime. We know that. The buds are out. We know summer is coming. So verse 29, when you see these signs I've just described in verse 5 through 23, you know it's time to do what? Verse 14, run. Flee to the mountains. He's telling them the time has come. He, perhaps the abomination of desolation, it's mentioning. He is at the gates. He's here, surrounding the city, perhaps. In verse 30, it says, Truly, this generation will not pass away until what? Look at it, what it says. These things. He's talking about those verses, 5 through 23, those two questions. Until these things happen. What's interesting, uh, a generation in their understanding in the Old Testament most often represented a 40-year period. This is curious because Jesus is speaking to them in about 30 AD. And you know what happens 40 years later? The temple falls. This happens in their generation. The temple falls. These things, these things come true. Jesus wasn't lying. Right? He's describing things that would happen only, uh, not, that wouldn't happen just thousands of years later, 
No, but he's describing something for them there. His word did not pass away. And this is what he says in verse 31, if you look at it. He says, his word to them is going to happen. They must be ready, not shaken, not afraid. And even though this is not good news, seemingly to them, it is good news that his word did not pass away, that it did come true. If you were uh, to simply search the internet uh, for predictions of 2022, you'd find a whole host of predictions and some interesting prophets, maybe we'll say. This week, uh, I found most major news media uh, have lists uh, of what they thought would happen. Uh, There was a few interesting psychics who had their take as well. One made the shocking prediction that the 96-year-old Queen of England, Queen Elizabeth, was going to pass away. No disrespect to her, but that doesn't seem all that surprising or shocking of a prediction to make. Low-hanging fruit, perhaps. But groups, groups like Forbes magazine predicted that energy prices would soar, food prices would surge, and that the Congress would make cannabis legal on the federal level this year. What if any of these lists, by whomever, all came true? Right? We'd, we'd likely consider trusting them more, right? If what they said would happen, and it does. When that happens, we instinctively get wide-eyed. What? Whoa. We perhaps lean in, turn our ear, and we follow what they're saying. Why? Because we want to be ready. We want to be awake for what's happening in our rapidly changing world and culture today. Right? See, Mark 13 was applicable to the disciples in that generation. There's something there for them. And it was applicable to the persecuted Christians that Jesus was writing to in Rome, probably just a few years before 70 AD. And it's applicable to us to show us that God's word and his plan did not, did not pass away. Friends, if we're honest, we are so susceptible to be swept up by voices in the media, by commentators, by voices near and far telling us what's coming, what we must do to be ready. We listen to the news about what's happened and what's coming. We listen to economic predictors, to financial gurus, to political commentators. We don't want to be taken off guard. We want to, we want to know what is coming and we want to stay awake for it. In truth, friends, the only way we do not get lost in the sea of arguing voices in the great predictions and polarization of our day is by going to the only one whose word did not pass away. God, his word. We will remain more awake, more ready, more shaped for the needs of this moment today if we go to his word first. That means we don't go to the podcast when we roll out of bed or to the news. We go to prayer. We say, God, speak. Speak from your word. Tell me. Because reading your word will make me more ready, more awake for what is about to come. So we stay awake by trusting the right source, the only one whose word did not ever pass away. Today, perhaps the the application is, who do you need to stop listening to? Definitely don't go look up the predictions for 2022. They weren't that helpful. But who do you need to stop listening to and start listening to in God's word? That's our first and longest point. A lot of retracing happened. But our second point, we see that God's word not only did not pass away, but it is not. His, God, his word and plan are not passing away. 
And we'll stay camping in 28 through 32 here. What's interesting um, about Old Testament prophecies is that they are often progressively fulfilled. Usually it's not just, here's a prophecy, one and done, it's over. Often there's a progressive nature to it. And the truth is that Christ is often the one who fulfills it, either when he came the first time or when he comes the last time. Well, while we believe that verses 5 through 23 happened in the disciples' generation, we, as we read that, could note our, real, our world is still full of earthquakes, wars, rumors of wars. On a positive side, Paul in Colossians 1.6 said that the gospel was already out bearing fruit, where? In the whole world. And yet the gospel still goes out now in our day, we're seeing. Right? There's still great persecution. There's still martyrdom. We still see verses 5 through 23 in some ways happening in our time and happening until Christ returns. It's true, Jesus' words are not passing away for us even now. Verses 5 through 23, and just referencing them one more time, is in many ways are describing an era when Jesus came. And an era that we still live in, it's called the last days. There's a lot of confusion, actually, about this, this phrase of last days. The word last in last days actually isn't referring to a certain number of days running out. It's, that's not how it's, it's not a quantitative thing. It's actually describing a last redemptive era. The one that we are in. Everything else in God's plan and his redeeming plan has happened. Creation, the banners. Fall has happened. Redemption, Jesus Christ has come. Right? He baptized the church at the Pentecost his Holy Spirit. And we wait for one last redeeming act and moment. We're in the last days because there are no more redemptive acts except that last one. Jesus coming back. That's what we're waiting for in this last days era. We stay awake for that one. And we know it's coming because verse 31, Jesus said what? As we already talked about. Heaven and earth may pass away, but my word is not, will not pass away. What's fascinating about this, if you were sitting with Jesus and he said this to you, he is placing his word alongside Yahweh's, God's word. Only God's word, Isaiah 40 says, stands forever. And Jesus is saying his word will be more enduring than creation itself, heaven and earth. Jesus, as Mark continues to show, is God in the flesh. But we find an interesting thing in verse 32. Concerning the day or hour, no one, not angels, not even the Son of God, knows when it will be. Only the Father. So wait, is verse 32 talking about the these things, verses 5 to 23? Or is it talking about the end of all things? Well, in the Old Testament, how did they talk about the end times? There's a phrase. What did they say? It was called the day of the Lord, or sometimes simply the day. And what do we see in verse 32? The day is mentioned. This is the day of verses 24 through 27, the end of all things, when the Son of Man returns on the clouds to gather his people. There's a split happening here in what's being described. Jesus is indeed returning on that day. What's interesting here, though, is if verse 31 shows that Jesus is God, then how in verse 32 does God, Jesus, not know when the last day is? Interesting. 
Philippians 2 tells us that though Jesus was in the form of God, this means he was like God in every way. This is what the form actually means. He did not consider equality with God a thing to be grasped. This means that Jesus took on a true human nature to himself. And he kept it. In heaven, he has one. It's the one we'll be changed into, a likeness like his. But it's in that human nature that he does not know the day, he says. Though now sitting in glory, we'd expect that he indeed does. But what, what we should take away in verses 31 and 32 is that this is actually a comfort to the disciples. Verses 31, Jesus, Jesus's God's word does not pass away. 32, the Father's God's plan does not pass away. He knows when the last day is coming. Friends, this means that the difficulties, the trauma, the pain of today, the unsettling things in 5 through 23 or unexplainable atrocities that we saw this last week, they're not because God has forgotten us. It's not because this day God has just lost track of time. No. Even though we know that he knows, we still might wonder. We still might question. Have you forgotten us? Uh, recently, I've been noticing that my, my children uh, have been asking more difficult spiritual questions. My three-year-old does easy things like, where is God? And we say, everywhere. He's like, okay. What does God know? The four-year-old asks. Everything. All right. Right? But our six-year-old, <laughs> our six-year-old started asking, asking things like, why does God allow pain? Isn't pain the opposite of love, Dad? The truth is pain isn't the opposite of love. It's actually often through pain. Hate, hate, or, or entire uncaring is, is the opposite of love. But pain isn't. It's often through pain that the most beautiful things happen. Tell any mother who's given birth to a child, my word, a beautiful child. Talk about honest and restorative conversations with others. That's hard. That's painful. It's beautiful, though. What about the pain of Christ dying on the cross? Right? It brings forgiveness, adoption, life eternal for any of you, of me who believes in Jesus Christ. Most beautiful thing through the greatest pain, but why? Why pain? I don't have an answer. We don't all have perfect answers, do we? These are questions we don't have answers for. There's a mystery in the triune God, Father, Son, and Spirit. And in, in, in his interactions even within himself. But God's word gives us a little bit of a peek, at least of an answer of why we should be okay with it. Deuteronomy 29, 29. You can write that one down. It says this. It says, The secret things belong to the Lord our God. The secret things belong to the Lord our God. But the things revealed, they belong to us and to our children that we may follow his law. Right? There are secret things that we don't know. There are things we face that we can't answer. And what happens in us is that we're often discouraged when that happens, right? We doubt. We seek to distract ourselves rather than stay awake in the moment, rather than trusting that what he has shown in his word and plan are enough for us. Friends, this is perhaps one way we fail to encourage each other more than any other part when it comes to the gospel. We listen to each other about hurting bodies, trauma-filled pasts, pain-filled presents, hopeless futures. And our common comfort is, but wait, Jesus died so you can be forgiven. 
That's good news. Yes, you can be forgiven. But there's another part of the gospel for the pain, fears, and questions of right now. Much of what we see painted in verses or in Mark 13, it's that God has promised in his word that his plan is that Jesus is coming back. It's part of what the gospel is aimed at. Jesus is coming back, even if we don't know the day. That means we don't only comfort each other with, you're forgiven, but it's that even when I don't have an answer for what you've faced, are facing, will face, God has spoken and he has said he is coming back for you. You can trust him even in stuff we don't understand now. The pain of the present, the trauma of the past will be made right. They will melt away in the Savior's fulfillment of his word and plan. And in that day, you will receive a perfected body, right? Where your back doesn't hurt anymore and you can go back to running, perhaps. The knees don't allow you to do it, but maybe they will when you're with Christ. A body that's like Christ, that promise cannot be taken away from you. It will not pass away. Friends, for us to stay awake in these difficult times, we must believe his word and plan are enough and the things that he's revealed. And they're good. And they'll last until he returns. The mystery, the secrets, the unknowns need not discourage, need not cause doubt, need not make us look for distractions. We can rather say, the secret things belong to you. And what you've revealed is enough. This week, be mindful in conversations with people. As you hear about the pain, right, that you hear in other people's stories, the hardships of mornings or whatever it might be, and certainly say, in Christ you can be forgiven, amen. But point their eyes to where the gospel is headed. Jesus is coming back. One day their circumstances, the sin within, without, will all be made right. All difficulties will be turned into delights when we see him face to face. And so we pray, come Lord Jesus. Come Lord Jesus. Bring that day. Our final point, our, our shortest point in that, is that his word and plan will not, will not ever or never pass away. We must remember that Mark is writing this gospel account of Jesus to uh, very likely a persecuted church, maybe namely in Rome. Verses 5 through 23 again characterize some of what they were literally facing. Mark writes it to comfort and to foretell, right, what's coming, but he's also telling them a better and final day is coming as we've been talking about. But he's also challenging them. This is verse 33 through 37. Jesus tells of a master going away, planning to return at a time when his servants are not waiting, not expecting. And this is meant as encouragement to those in Rome, to those who are persecuted. He's saying, I could come at any moment. Hold on. Be ready. Stay awake. And it's also command. Always be at work at what I've given to you. Right? Be at work at the life I've offered to you, to be faithful there. And in verse 37, it almost is like Jesus breaks the fourth wall right, of speaking there. And he says, I say to all, I say to you all, stay awake. This really happens in the Gospels. Where Jesus says it's not just for you, just for these people, it's for all. In essence, he's saying, shape your life around the reality that I am coming back. The master's coming back. 
One of the uh, greatest stories ever told, in my humble opinion, is about a boy and his stuffed tiger. I'm talking about the comics called Calvin and Hobbes. It maybe is part of my son's namesake. To everyone else, Hobbes is just a stuffed tiger. But to Calvin, he's alive. And they have outrageous fun and outrageous dialogue in all the comics. One time, Hobbes asks Calvin, he says, Don't you have an assignment due tomorrow? Calvin says, yeah, but I won't start it until tonight. I need to get in the right mindset. Hobbes says, what mindset is that? Calvin says, last minute panic. (laughs) Are you a procrastinator? Are you a procrastinator? Working with uh, university students for many years, I cannot tell you how many times I was told, I'll care about religious stuff when I'm older. Last-minute panic is not the mindset you want when you're trying to sort out your faith or faithfulness when Christ comes riding on the clouds. It's a bad strategy. Are you waiting until you're older to take the claims of Jesus Christ serious? I just want to have fun. God gets it, right? right? There's grace, right? Are you lazy in your faith, never planning time for prayer? whether that's private or with your spouse or with your children. Never pushing things off of the Lord's Day, this day, so that you can give your whole attention to public, private worship or fellowship and rest with one another. Are you more interested in short-term idols? How many hobbies or personal health goals, rest times, are all built around our idols? Idols that pass away rather than stirring us to be awake and waiting for the Lord. Are you uncaring or disinterested in your faith, acting as if attending Sunday service keeps you in the Salvation Club? Right? We've been here. Are you bored in your faith, thinking there is nothing exciting or new? It's possible if your Christian life, Christian life that you say is characterized by boredom, you may not know this Christ. He's the most exciting and exhilarating person on the planet. And he made you just the way you are. So whether you're waiting until you're older, lazy, more interested in idols, uncaring, or bored in faith, the answer is simple. Repent. Turn. Turn from these things. We lay them down before God. We lay them down because the Master is coming back. And it's not at a moment that we expect. And last-minute panic is no good strategy. This isn't just about ourselves. It's, It's also about our joy. Of, of doing it now. So friends, we stay awake by calling our sins sin. If you haven't trusted in Christ, you can today. And guess what? He's not only going to awaken you from sleep, but from death. From spiritual death, he will give you new life. Today, you trust in Christ. Repent of living for yourself and believe upon this Christ. If you call yourself a Christian, repent of your sleepy stupor and loving sin. Right? And thinking that the master doesn't care about how you live. Or if you're thinking he isn't coming back anytime soon. Shift your goals, dreams, rest time, free time, anytime to be ready for his return. Now this doesn't mean we don't rest. It doesn't mean we don't have fun. doesn't mean we don't laugh. <laughs> we have good times. We stay aware, but we live sober-minded, steadfast. We flee sin and selfishness and we give thanks to God in all the good things we do. That's staying aware. That's shaping our lives for his coming. In the New Testament, 
Keeping awake is often paired with one other thing. It's often keep awake, and what should they do instead? Watch and pray, watch and pray. Beyond our daily repentance, we watch and pray, but we're not just watching the world. I think we've done that enough, probably, right? We've probably done that enough, but we watch Jesus. In his word, we look and we pray, make me into your image, Christ. Right? Jesus is the perfect example of staying awake. Never in his ministry did he become sidetracked, distracted. No, he was never disillusioned. Jesus' life was shaped by the reality for which he came, the dream, what he came to do, and what the glory, or the glory that awaited for him. Here's the good news as you watch and pray. 1 Corinthians 15.49 says this. As you watch and pray, when Jesus comes back, it says, we will be transformed in a moment. Less than that, actually. See what the Greek is. Less than that, in a flash. We will be changed into the image of the, of the man of heaven. We will take on the body that Christ has as well. What a good truth. We repent and we watch and pray to stay awake. To close, to close, there's a question that is either exhilarating to you or it is angering to you to hear. It goes like this. Are you awake? Countless sleepovers, well, often unnecessary things, had children asking each other in the middle of the night or the following morning, are you awake? Right? Often met with giggles, yes, I am awake. We contrast that with fatigued, distracted, or annoyed parents when a little one stands in the doorway, silhouetted, right? Are you awake? No. No. As, you're, as you are asked by the Lord today in this text, are you awake? Are you waiting for me? Are you found joyful? Yes, yes, I am awake. Jesus, I am awake and I am waiting, shaping my life around the reality that you are coming back for me, for us, for your people. Or is your response... Leave me alone, Jesus. I'm distracted. I'm discouraged. Why won't you just leave me be? God's word and his plan did not, are not, will not pass away. Are you awake? Are you awake? To stay awake, we trust the source whose word did not pass away. We face questions, difficulties, and pains, encouraging each other, saying, Jesus, his, his word, his plan, they're going to happen. He's coming. And we stay awake by repenting of our sin and our sleepy states. And we watch and pray, waiting until the day when we will bear the very image of the man of heaven, Christ himself. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, are we awake? Oh Lord, you know. God, would you give us a clear sense today if we are awake and if we are waiting for you. God, stir us to repent. Stir us to awaken from our sleepy stupor, stir us if we have not yet trusted in you, Christ, to believe. Give us the gift of faith that we may come alive. And Lord Jesus, turn our eyes every morning away from the distractions of this world to the day, the day when you will come. It's in Jesus' name that we do pray. Amen.